Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the Mupple Shocks. Uh, my name is Kermit the Forg. The Forg? Come on, pick up the pace. Here we go. And our speggy old guest step is the amazing Harry Belaf. That's Harry Belafonte, folks. Kermit, your timing must be off. You should be getting big laughs with that stuff. Ah! Hi ho, and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring. The most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host Nick Jackson. Nick, so I got my booster, and I kind of feel like ass. I I haven't made it that far yet. I still have to figure out if I am in one of the eligible groups and if I would be jumping ahead in line or anything like that. But It's not as bad as my second shot. See, I didn't feel anything for either of my shots. Oh, uh, yeah, real sick on the second shot. So you'll be fine when you get your booster. I just, I'm having a muted version of the symptoms that I had when I had my second shot. Hmm. I'm fatigued. I'm tired. Those mean the same thing. I hurt all over. And uh, we're going to talk about my favorite episode of The Muppet Show. But before we do that, this is A Feed of Lunatic Daring. We're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Please check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, lunaticdaring.com, where you'll find all of our episodes, our watch list, and our bibliography. We are currently going through The Muppet Show two episodes at a time, but not tonight. Tonight's a special night. We're just going to talk about episode 314. But it's a really important and special episode. So I think there'll be plenty to talk about. Uh, you ready to start it? Get started? Let's get this started. It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Harry Belafonte. What'd you think of Harry Belafonte? Oh, I loved this episode. Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it was great. Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to make the declarative statement. I'm not going to say it's the best episode of the Muppet Show ever. I will say it is my favorite. For good reason. I think every sketch is a banger. Hmm. A little background on this. So Harry Belafonte, you know, was already a big star at the time. And him and Henson met. They had a mutual appreciation. And they met around the time when they were working on pre-production on the Muppet movie. And they talked about getting Belafonte on the show. Uh, he said, sure, but I want to be involved. And this episode represents the most the most intense collaboration between the Muppet makers and the guest star in any of the Muppet Show episodes. Belafonte worked on every aspect of this. The music, obviously, is a big part of it. The theme, the cultural stuff, they they did you know, they did research and uh, to make sure they weren't offending anybody. And he was very uh, anyway. But this was a this was an episode that was very much curated for its guest star, which I think is obvious when you watch it. But he was a big part of that. It's not like Vincent Price, where they just wrote a bunch of spooky jokes and he came in and did him did him well. This is no, this is what he wanted to do. And this is what him and Jim came up with for him to do. Singer, songwriter, activist and actor, Harold Jorge Belenfanti Jr. was born March 1st, 1927 in Harlem, the son of Jamaican-born parents. His mother was a housekeeper and his father a chef. When he was five, he went to live with one of his grandmothers in Jamaica, where he attended the Wilmers School, which is one of the top schools in the Caribbean. It's kind of like a, the equivalent of like a British boarding school. He stayed there for eight years before returning to New York, uh, where he went to George Washington High School in the Heights. In the Heights, I the lights and start my day. Like a million years away. 
After graduating, Harold joined the Navy and served during World War II, and that's all I could find. Surprisingly, I couldn't find anything about his war record whatsoever. But after the war, he was working as a janitor when a tenant gave him, as a tip, two tickets to Harlem's American Negro Theater. That night, he went, and he fell in love with acting. He also met and befriended a young man named Sidney Poitier. At the end of the 40s, Belafonte took acting classes at the New School in New York, alongside Brando, Tony Curtis, Walter Matthau, B. Arthur, and his buddy Sidney. As a musician, Harry started his singing career in New York clubs to pay for his acting classes. Now, according to Wikipedia, this is nuts. According to Wikipedia, the first time Harry ever performed in front of an audience, he was backed by the Charlie Parker Band which not only included Parker himself, of course, but also an at-the-time lesser-known cat, Miles Davis. He was a pop singer, I guess, but he was also very interested in folk music and took many deep dives into that throughout his career. He would be known for his, um, his, uh, his, his, his interest in world music, especially as we see in this episode. He signed with RCA Victor in 1953 and would be with that record label for 21 years. His first big single would be a song called Matilda, which came out that same year. Everybody. Matilda, sing up the chorus. Matilda, sing a little louder. Matilda, she take me money and run Venezuela. Once again now. Matilda, going round the corner. Matilda, sing up the chorus. Matilda, she take me money and run Venezuela. Two years later, he dropped his breakthrough album, Calypso, and it became the first LP in the world to sell over a million copies in a year, spending 99 consecutive weeks on the Billboard charts. The album introduced Americans, mostly white Americans probably, but introduced Americans to Calypso music, which came from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, On this album was the Banana Boat song, a traditional, but arranged for recording by Belafonte, William Attaway, and Lord Burgess. It would reach number five on the pop charts and is by by a wide margin Belafonte's signature song. He got dubbed the King of Calypso after that, but he made music in every genre. Uh, as usual, there's too much to go through, especially considering all the other stuff I got to tell you about him. Uh, so some highlights. He was the first Jamaican American to win an Emmy. Uh, he also won a Tony as well. Um, I think he's he's like an Oscar away from the uh, he uh, was recruited by Frank Sinatra to perform at JFK's inaugural gala in 61. And his 1962 album, Midnight Special, featured a young harmonica player named Bob Dylan. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine its ever-loving light on me. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. As rock music took over the pop charts, the Calypso wave kind of faded out, and his 1964 live album would be his last to make the top 40. He appeared in a lot of TV specials with people like fellow Muppet Show guests Julie Andrews, Petula Clark, and Lena Horne. In February of 68, Harry guest hosted The Tonight Show for a few nights, covering for Johnny. Amongst his guests were Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy. He toured a lot, but his recording career really slowed down after his initial contract with RCA expired. In 77, he released the world music album Turn the World Around, just before making his appearance on The Muppet Show the next year. He and Jim Henson would be close friends up until the latter's death. Belafonte sang Turn the World Around at the memorial. He was in the chorus in the 1985 mega-hit megastar charity song We Are the World.
Quincy Jones, uh, written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. People didn't know that. After that, he released his first original album in a long time called Paradise in Gazankulu. And it was a, basically a whole album of protest songs about South African apartheid. Find, find the card is quick. If you catch the black eye, you catch the trick. In 1988, Harry was named a UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador. He's received Kennedy Center honors, National Medal of Arts, many Grammys, including a Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, he got an honorary doctorate from a school in Boston. His last concert was for the Atlanta Opera in 2003. In 2007, he stated that he was retired from performing. But we ain't done. Harry dabbled in a film career. He was in two films with the legendary Dorothy Dandridge, including the 1954 musical Carmen Jones. Of course, in that film, he was actually dubbed over by an opera singer because they didn't think his voice was good enough. Some of his other films real quick. He was in Island of the Sun in 57. Uh, Robert Wise's Odds Against Tomorrow, a couple of films with his friend Sidney Poitier. He produced and scored the classic breakdancing film Beat Street. The soundtrack to that was the first hip-hop album I ever owned. He returned to acting in the 1990s opposite John Travolta in White Man's Burden and in Robert Altman's Kansas City. Neither of those films are very good at all. His most recent film appearance was in Spike Lee's Black Klansman. He's been married three times, mostly most recently in 2008 and has four children, but I'm not done. Harry Belafonte was a huge supporter of the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s and was a personal confidant of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. He actually provided for the King family financially since the good doctor was only making eight K a year as a preacher for his involvement in civil rights. Harry was blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Um, but, it, but when MLK was thrown in jail after the 1953 Birmingham protests, it was Harry who bailed him out. He also financed the 1961 freedom riders and helped organize the 1963 March on Washington. You've probably heard of it. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. This is going to sound crazy, but just like music and movies and stuff, Harry kind of has too many amazing humanitarian things that he gets into, so I can't list them all. He's definitely shown some socialist leanings in the past and has been very vocal for decades against American foreign policy. He was hugely anti-apartheid, of course. He really hated George W. Bush. Uh, he's marshaled gay pride parade. He always kind of seems to be on the right side of history, I would say, like from my opinion. He was an exceptionally impressive man. Sorry, not was, is. Harry is currently 94 years old. Fun fact, in the 1950s, Belafonte was a supporter 
of the African American Students Foundation, which in 1959 gave a grant to a Kenyan student named Barack Obama to study at the University of Hawaii. There, Obama met a woman named Ann Dunham, and their son would one day become the 44th president of the United States. I haven't done anything with my life. <laughs> yeah. I haven't published yet. Yeah. I, yeah. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, he is 94. You got, you got time. Okay. Muppet Show episode number 314 with the Spegiel guest step. Harry Belafonte, produced November 8th through 10th, 1978. So it's the first episode after they shot the Muppet movie. Premiered in January and February in UK and New York, directed by Philip Casson. This is the first episode to come out in 1979, I do believe. I put this episode up with Julie Andrews as a model episode. I, I would agree with that. Uh, it's kind of in that same vein. Yes, it's very much built around the guest. Um, we'll talk about, you know, before we were recording, you, you mentioned something I think is interesting that we should talk about uh, when we get there. Harry Belafonte, 30 seconds to curtain, Mr. Belafonte. Thank you, Scooter. We uh, we come in for our cold open, and Harry is just chilling out with a with a towel around his neck, looking cool as a cucumber. I mean, this dude can't be, pl- he's not, he can't be plussed, right? This guy is just so, he's so laid back the entire episode. He gets a little impatient with Fozzie, but he's, he's being a lot nicer <laughs> than most people would. <laughs> he was, that's true. That's true. He's always got a really great smile on his face. So Scooter comes in and, and Harry's a little bummed because he's heard that people are talking that bad about him. Is everything all right? Oh yeah, everything's okay. Except, you know, I haven't even done the show yet and already somebody started to put me down. No. Oh, what do you mean? Just now I heard somebody outside my door say, don't go inside that dressing room. Crazy Harry's in there. Oh, well, they didn't mean you. You see, Crazy Harry's a mu- Crazy Harry? <laughs> Now, I haven't seen anyone enjoy an explosion on The Muppet Show this much since Gene Stapleton. <laughs> no, that's that's a different kind of excitement. We have our Muppet Show theme at the end. Uh, Gonzo's trumpet, a bee flies out of it. That's going to come back. <laughs> so. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the Muppet Shocks. Uh, my name is Kermit the Forg. So our backstage story is that Fozzie is writing tonight's show. How did he get this gig? Just thinking about the conversation for him to go to Kermit and be like, hey, Kermit, you seem like you've been kind of stressed lately. Why don't I take some of the writing responsibilities off your shoulders? Like, what's there to be written? Just the intro? I guess. Kermit comes in with a piece of paper that is Fozzie's script, and it is terribly spelled. <laughs> what a good way to begin the episode. This reminds me of classic Fozzie Kermit stuff, mm. you know. Kermit, your timing must be off. You should be getting big laughs with that stuff. <laughs> Just so funny. But come on. My name is Kermit the Forg. Come on. So so that's going to be our backstage story is that Fozzie is writing the episode poorly. And like I talked about in the bio, Harry's signature song is Deo, otherwise known as the Banana Boat song. And he had never performed it on television. That's true. Fozzie says in, the, he says in this, it's the first time he's ever performing on TV. And this was his big song. He never performed it on TV. So... He comes out and he starts to sing the song and he's got Fozzie with him. And this is my favorite type of Fozzie, right? This is the the um, the uh, unhelpful, helpful Fozzie. Mm-hmm. He's really trying. He is. He's I mean, I think we're just seeing bad like Fozzie should never be in charge is is basically the, <laughs> the whole episode, the whole episode but this bit in particular, because of all of the people to send out to get something handled, why send Beauregard? Yeah! 
daylight come and we won't go home. Hey. We said day, we said day, we said day, we said day, we said day. Daylight come and we won't go home. That was beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you very much, but, but I'm not finished with the song yet. The first segment, he starts singing the Banana Boat song, and then Fozzie interrupts him because it's beautiful. And he wants to know, you must have sung that a lot. And he's like, nope, first time. And Fozzie's like, well, we got to do it up. And he brings in a chorus of pigs <laughs> and a parrot and all this stuff. And he wants to do the number upright up because, you know, it's a big it's a big deal. Uh, this is where you get the refrain of Fozzie's, Fozzie or, or Harry saying, trust me. Mm-hmm. Hey, pigs, pigs, come on in. This is your pig chorus. Okay, and, uh, and I'll take care of everything else. Don't worry, this is going to be great. Are you sure? Trust me. And so he brings in the chorus, and they sing for a little while longer. And then Fozzie interrupts him again to ask him what a tally man is. Come, Mr. Tally Man, tally me banana. Daylight, come, and we want to go home. Come, excuse me. I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, what is a tally man? What is what? A, a, a tally man. You're saying tally man. What's that? Well, well, he's the boss. The tally man is the guy who, who counts the bananas as they go into the hole of the ship. And without him, there's just, just no work. He's a very important man. Ah, c- could I be a tally man? Sure. Oh, yeah? Oh, terrific. Okay, here we am. The tally man or the tally bear. Ah. And then, and then here's the moment that you're talking about. Harry says, do we have the bananas? We need bananas for the banana boat song. And Fozzie goes, I know just the guy. No, you don't, Fozzie. Can we just, because if I blinked, I would have missed it. I lost my shit when I saw Link eating a banana in the background. (laughs) Yeah. Like all of that stuff's going on in the foreground and that's supposed to be drawing your attention. But I saw that banana peel fall and I was like, oh, oh, this is amazing. (laughs) So Beauregard over the course of the song brings in some onions, some eggplants. Fozzie doesn't even realize they're eggplants. He doesn't even know what eggplants look like. Luckily, he was in the days before emojis, and and then he also brings in some pineapples because at least those are at least he got the color right with the pineapples. So Beauregard's doing something, but Beauregard's having a hard time bringing the bananas. In my favorite part, probably the entire episode. <laughs> Harry brings it all to a halt and says, "Guys, this is very special to me." Don't worry about the pineapples and the onions and everything. Look, this is the first time I'm doing this song on television. I really would like to get it right. I mean, I'd like it to look good for all the people. I mean, come on, I mean, yeah. won't you help me out? Just let's pull together, okay? Okay, okay. right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Everybody ready, okay? Okay. Just, just, just watch me, okay? It'll work. Do you really think it'll work? Trust me. Fozzie just can't get it right. <laughs> Every time Fozzie says an out of sync day, it kills me. It absolutely kills me. <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was, it's great. It's a great way to open the episode. It sets the tone for everything. This is a song that I've heard a lot just as a, a child of the 90s. It was in Beetlejuice. Yeah, that's one of the places I heard it a lot. But I, my dad was stationed in Hawaii uh, when I was really mm. young. And it was... I don't know how much of this was tourism as opposed to just stuff that people were, were regularly listening to, but I would hear this and I would hear a lot of reggae as well. Daylight come and we wanna go home. 
Like you said, it's got a great combination of him doing this song that is very important to him. That is his signature. And they, you know, and the idea that like, this is the first time I'm doing it, I'm going to do it very austere. And then they spend the rest of the time taking the piss out of it mm-hmm. is great. And it shows that he's there to play. And it really like and it really works. And it still ends satisfyingly with the, the last couple lines. But man, whenever Fozzie goes, dang, dang. Just like half a beat behind everybody else. <laughs> and they look so embarrassed every time. Nah, that's great. Love the banana boat number. We like a man, we so then backstage, Fozzie's working on the script. And, <laughs> and I, I feel this, Fozzie. I really do feel this. If you've ever written an action scene in like a movie script. This is what it feels like. Fozzie uh, is writing a script for the next number. And Kermit's like, why do we even need a script? He's like, well, we were going to leave nothing to chance. And he gives a script to Rolf and New Zealand. Uh, curtains open. New Zealand and Rolf do something funny. Curtains close. close. That's not that different from how you write action scenes. <laughs> so New uh, Zealand and Rolf it seems kind of be like situation normal around here. So they just kind of shrug and head off the stage. Rolf and New Zealand sing a song called T for Two. We've heard this before in uh, the Rich Little episode, kind of in Helen Reddy, which we just did, actually. Do you know T for two? T for two. I know it backwards. Oh, good, because that's the way we want to hear it. Good, because that's the way I'm going to sing it. Oot. Rough eat. And eat. And I get this stuck in my head weekly. The oot, rough eat, and eat, rough oot. Stuck in my head every once in a while. Funny little interstitial, not a big deal. I guess Lou's going to start becoming a bigger part of it, but I was surprised to see him focused on the first episode back. So uh, then we get a great Pigs in Space. This is so good. It's so good. Now, time once again for Pigs in Space! What's all stupid doing? I'm not doing a thing. Well, the answer's been called. Where Dr. Strangepork has created something called the Dissolvatron. It is a laser beam that teleports things, right? It's basically a bag of holding, but like... Or like a Star Trek teleporter. Yeah. And he uses it to like snag a drink from Piggy. And then they ask how it works. And so he dissolves Link and Piggy with his Dissolvatron. Just makes him vanish. Which is pretty horrendous to begin with. I mean, it, it does kind of turn into the fly if you if you look at it a little too closely. And then he undissolves them, and they come back perfectly, just a little different. <laughs> and we've got ourselves a good old-fashioned 80s body switch comedy. And there you are. Exactly as we were before. <laughs> uh, maybe not exactly. <laughs> But, but this is terrible. I can't live my life being you. <laughs> you think you got troubles? Well, of course, I am kind of cute this way. Hey, watch it, watch it! Don't you dare touch you! Link is speaking like Piggy, and Piggy is speaking like Link. Piggy warns Link not to touch the merchandise. 
what's he say? Uh, don't you dare touch you. Yeah. Because Link is in Piggy's body and he looks down. He's like, I am kind of cute. She's like, don't you dare touch you, which I thought was pretty progressive for the time. <laughs> so they have a little bit of uh, back and forth and then they turn to Strange Pork and they're like, fix this. And Strange Pork starts talking like Janice. <laughs> What do you have to say for yourself? Ew, this is a bummer. I mean, really. Ah, uh, something has gone wrong with my disorder. <laughs> and then Janice comes in and she's talking like strange pork. She's telling him something's gone wrong. Like, no shit. Piggy calls out for Kermit, right? Like, the sketch is going nuts. She, she calls out for Kermit. Kermit, please help me. And Kermit comes in. <laughs> Where are you, Kermit? Kermit! That does it. Uh, the sketch is canceled. Kill the lights. Strength the scenery. Curtain. So Speaking good. mock Swedish. <laughs> and this is the only time you'll ever properly understand what the Swedish chef says. And then the chef comes out with Kermit's voice, which I actually found kind of upsetting. Yeah. There was something weird about it, like very upsetting about <laughs> seeing the chef just come out and talk. I, I've heard people tell stories about Michael Jackson's actual voice being much lower than you would usually hear it being. Oh, and yeah. I can absolutely see that being upsetting if you're like hanging out in 1987 or something like that. And Michael Jackson comes off stage. He's like, yeah, we're doing the VIP meet and greet. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he drops three octaves and you're like, what? What's going on? Uh, great pigs in space. Great ending. Kermit is the chef. You can't beat it. Now we get our UK spot in the return of the bee. Return of the Killer Bees. Um, Zoot and Floyd play Honeysuckle Rose. Honeysuckle Rose is an old Fats Waller tune. But they play it while they are being pestered by a bee. We're going to assume it's the bee from the opening. Or its friend. This is just great. Or it's friend. That's fair. This is just great because it's just great performance from the two puppeteers. Goals and Nelson are killing it in this. And um, and it's just a fun little number. There's not a lot, a lot to say about it, but it is. No, it's so visual. That's the yeah. thing. Is it's so visual that it's hard to get across. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. And then, and then at the end, Zoot basically eats the bee. Er, he like inhales it, doesn't he? Yeah, he inhales it. He inhales it through the... Uh, Sacks, but then he chomps a couple of times and then spits it out. <laughs> Thought that was kind of clever. All right. I know you love this next bit. Oh, I absolutely did. <laughs> we have a drum battle. We have Harry coming back on, on a, like a dark stage next to Animal in what looks like a circus tent. Um, and just, they're playing, I, I want to say it's like they're playing horse or something where they're just trying to. I was going to say horse too. But it, it's such a great, such a great, such a fun thing. Simon Says, whatever you want to call it, you know, Simon, that old um, electronic game from the 80s. Animal and Harry Belafonte have a have a drum battle that turns into them jamming together. 
it made me exhausted just watching it. And that's not just the, the vaccine. Yeah, because I, I primarily know or before I heard his bio, I primarily knew Harry for his voice. And I it's not a far reach to think that he'd be a multi-instrumentalist. But seeing him up there performing, I was like, this is amazing. And, you know, he brought that drum from home, right? I'm sure. There's no way that's a Muppet drum. That's probably an African drum that he brought from home. Hmm. And then they end up jamming together. And it's really cool. This is this is the one time my only complaint about this one sketch is that I wish they had just this is one where the laugh track bugs me. Mm hmm. Because like they're playing, they're playing, they're playing, and then when they start playing together, like they they put some applause in the soundtrack. And I was like, ah, we don't need that. We got it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we don't need to be told this is cool. It's just cool. So uh, you ever get your tie caught in your typewriter? No, but I also hate no. wearing ties. Yeah, me too. Uh, so Fozzie's working on the script and he gets his, his tie caught in the typewriter. And uh, so he's working on the script and he gets his tie stuck and Rolf comes by to see how he's doing. And there's a little. Hey, Fozzie. Oh, hi. Hi, Ralph. How's it going? Oh, well, gosh, I, um, I, uh, um. You're stuck, huh? Yeah. Well, listen, it happens to all writers. This does? Sure, it's what's called writer's block. And then at the end, Rolf strangles Fuzzy. I mean, so, not literally, not really. He didn't want to. Do we see Rolf interact with Fuzzy very often? Uh, not a ton. I mean, I mean, we saw it last week because of the movie. But even then, they barely interacted in that. It's not a combo you see a lot. But I think it, I think they're correct. It would be wrong to have Kermit in this situation. Mm -hmm. uh, then we get to the wide world of Muppet Sports. Hello, sports fans. Louis Kazagger bringing you the wild world of Muppet Sports. You join us today for the start of the 100-meter blindfold sprint. Starring Mr. Louis Kazagger, who I, now that I look at him some more, you're right. He's an anteater. Yeah, he's like, he's some sort of a taper or something. And uh, they're having, they're presenting the blindfold sprint in which all the runners are blindfolded. This is very brief, and it's won by by far the smartest guy of the bunch. It's a low bar. It's a very tortoise in the hair event. Yeah. Like the one guy who's brought a cane. Did you notice, though, when they're lining up for their they're lining up for the race? The guy with the cane keeps trying to look under his bandage mm -hmm. and cheat. That was a sweet little detail. I thought performance wise. I wonder who was doing that. Funny. Interesting ending. I don't know why the people with the stretchers are blindfolded. All right. So now we start. And this is why I think because we're already at the end. It feels it feels like such a short. And I, I told myself that maybe that was just because I was enjoying it so much. But it feels like such a short episode. They said the reason I think it feels short is because we have this scene here with Fozzie and Harry. I write songs. Oh, yeah, the terrific. Hey, how do you get ideas for all those songs? Well, they don't come easily. You have to get inspired. He tells Fozzie of an African storyteller that he met and uh, talks to him about African mythology and the elements turning the world around and all this stuff. And so it's like you, you almost have to think of this whole scene as a different scene from the musical number. Mm -hmm. because you're right. It does kind of come to not an abrupt halt. Cause I mean, this song goes on a long time. Yeah. We're already in the finale. I discovered that song in Africa. I was in a country called Guinea and I went deep into the interior of the country and in a little village. I met with a storyteller and that storyteller 
went way back into African tradition and African mythology. He began to tell the story about the fire, uh-huh. which means the sun, and about the water, and about the earth. And then he pointed out that all of these things put together turn the world around. Basically, the whole conversation between Fozzie and Harry is setting up for him to sing the song uh, Turn the World Around from his 1977 album of the same name. We come from the fire, living in the fire. Go back to the fire, turn the world around. We come from the fire, go back to the fire, turn the world around. We come from the fire, living in the fire. Go back to the fire, turn the world around. Harry is joined in singing this by several Muppets based on African masks. Like I said, they did a lot of research on this. What they would do now on like a movie like Shang-Chi or something where they would bring in, you know, people to make sure you weren't getting anything wrong, to make sure you're not appropriating, things like that. Um, they actually did that for this number. They wanted to make sure that it was respectful. It it shows. Like, I, I've seen... I think so. With this kind of uh, a setup in particular, I've seen especially a lot of horror movies that I shouldn't have seen at an early age. But often there will be an aspect of it that might seem kind of exploitative diminishing and, and so many other things, but the way that these particular puppets were handled was something that I thought was really refreshing, even by today's standards, because yeah. they feel like characters, like they feel like standard Muppets. They don't feel like they're they're trying to be a quick punchline or anything else like that. No, uh, Belafonte said that Henson was very particular about the final designs because he didn't want to cause offense. By choosing masks that the quote was he didn't want to cause offense by choosing masks that would have some religious or national significance so he wanted them to feel authentic but not specific which i think is a good call so is life oh, oh, so is life Aha, so is life do you know who i am do i know who you are see we one another clearly do we know who we are the puppets are in the uh, atlanta center for puppetry arts if you want to see them the puppet designs are gorgeous i think they were a little scary to me as a kid i could understand that the singing is done by jerry nelson and richard hunt louise gold is the main ones i guess now you would probably hit some controversy as to having white people singing those parts I don't... The thing is, you might, um, just as a matter of course, but also in the context especially of this being something from the 70s and them having taken the steps that they did, if that were to be a controversy, all else being equal, it would be more because of the instant gratification that comes with trying to call someone out. But to to the point about this being kind of scary when you're a kid, this does... So the storyteller, we'll get to this on a later episode, but... There were two seasons, and they were both relatively short. I think the first one's like nine episodes, and the second one's seven. But the first one is a general European folklore tradition, and there's a lot of a lot of them sort of swing more toward an Eastern European or potentially Russian sort of motif. And then the second season is largely focusing or exclusively focusing on Greek myths. But seeing this. And obviously I wouldn't necessarily, I love John Hurt, he was very influential. I wouldn't want John Hurt hosting that, but I would have loved to see what they could have done with one that was set in continental Africa and just going around yeah. to different areas. Because this this feels very tasteful. It's it's tasteful and it's also very powerful. And it's very loving too. I don't, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I wish I could I, I wish I could have seen that. Yeah, that's Belafonte's um you know, that's that's I think that's what he wanted to make sure that's why him and Jim got along so well, I think, but Harry wanted to make sure that he he wanted to get a certain message across. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was just a very simple message of, of unity, of inclusivity, of, of freaking kindness, which is seems so out of date now. <laughs> I think it's simply like one of the most you know, I'm not. It's not going to be. It's not like my favorite Muppet song of all time. It is, I think, the most magical Muppet musical moment because it it kind of takes over. It becomes very stylized for a while. It has that really quiet part where he's just playing his little drum while the others are while the the mass are dancing. And then I got chills, and it's not just the vaccine. I got chills tonight watching this when the Muppets come in to join. Does that make sense? Like when the mupp, when like they're all singing, singing with the mask, and then the Muppets come in to kind of sing them out, you know? Yeah. I got chills when they came out. Well, that's one of the things that they did, and I think that was very intentional because it keeps it from becoming something other. I think part of why this this closer works so much is because it is so integrated and it is so cohesive. It plays into the core that's established for the episode from the second that we see Harry feeling insecure because they're calling him crazy Harry and then being like, no, 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 they're talking about another Muppet. In in early seasons of the Muppet show, one of the things we would come back to fairly often, and we've come back to it less as it's progressed, is that there were certain episodes that didn't have a cohesive core, right? Sometimes things were just sort of disjointed. Sometimes the guests didn't play well with the Muppets. This, you, you made the comparison to the Julie Andrews episode. This episode coheres. It coheres very well, and it's got a very strong and beating heart to it. And that's part of the, that might be another part of the reason that it felt so short is just, I wanted more. I wanted so much more of this episode. And that is fair, because this episode is great. And so I would take another hour of it. I would take another hour of the last song. <laughs> um, but because it's just it gets stuck in your head. It's also just a catchy like tune, but but a powerful tune. The message is simple, but not simplistic. That makes absolute sense. I know as a child, once I got past my initial kind of like fear of the masks, you know, when I was little, I think this number had an actual influence. On me. Hmm. And I can't tell you why, but I think some of the ways that I view the world came from this. <laughs> A little bit, you know, like, like just, just, you know, I remember when, you know, we were, there was, you know, with all the shit that's going on and saying like, oh, they shouldn't teach that the Klan was bad in, in schools or whatever. And I'm like, bitch, Mr. Rogers taught me racism was bad when I was five. Yeah, there's a lot. Like, imagine getting into a pissing contest with Big Bird. There's a lot that's just. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's going on now, too. Yeah. But I do feel like this was a formative episode for me as a child. I think I'm looking at myself at maybe five or six when I'm watching this in syndication, right? And I think what it what it probably did to me is that, yeah, it scared me at first. And then it goes on a long time. And then the Muppets join them and it all gets normalized in a way. I mean, like by the end of it, I wasn't scared of them anymore. That's a, that's a thing about horror and there, there are ways to play with it. But I, I think one of the things, because for a long time I would sort of kick back and forth what differentiates horror from a thriller and horror denies a greater degree of agency to the protagonist. Right. Yes. Um, and as a kid, like watching that, 
if you're self-inserting, even if you don't realize that you're self-inserting into a lot of these situations, especially if it's something that you would generally find entertaining, with the presentation of the familiar faces and moving away from things that might be less familiar, it becomes more comforting because you're able to triangulate it and be like, oh, these guys are cool with it, which means I can be cool with it. Well, it's been such a great show that we can hardly bring ourselves to end it. And we all know who we have to thank for that. The scriptwriter. No, no, the, the guest star, party. And so thank you from all of us, Mr. Harry Balavante. That's the greatest group of singers I've ever worked with. Muppets. Night off. And then Kermit comes out and basically says what Nick is thinking, which is, hate for this to end, but it's got to end. But the credits roll while they're still singing this song. Although, did you notice Gonzo sneaks in and plays a little bit of the Muppet theme on his trumpet? <laughs> yeah, I I love this episode a great deal. I don't know, because my schedule is what it is, I don't know when I'm going to watch it again, but I know I'm going to be happy to do so. For this recording, I did not need to watch this episode, because I know it backwards and forwards. However, I watched it like three or four times. <laughs> if anything, for just the Banana Boat song, the drum solo, and then the finale. <laughs> Next time on A Feat of Lunatic Daring. A Feat of Lunatic Daring. So coming up next week, we're going to go back to our two episodes at a time, back on our regular schedule, uh, with episode number 315 with Leslie Ann Warren, actress Leslie Ann Warren, and number 316 with actor, I would say legend, uh, Danny Kay. It'll be a good one. You know Danny Kay? Not off the top of my head. I need to get to bed. <laughs> and uh, work my way through this uh, vaccine. But I would like to point out, get vaccinated. <laughs> please, please. They don't magnetize you. That's not how magnets work. My kids got their first shots. Awesome. Here's how you know. I let, like, we signed, my wife is a, a bioorganic chemist. She signed my kids up immediately. And she knows what's in those vials. I'm just saying, like, even though I've been complaining that I feel shitty, it's worth it. And I knew I was going to because I felt shitty after the second one. But uh, I promise I'll be a little more with it next week. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and so until that week, uh, my name is Chad. My name is Nick. And thank you very much for listening. Feet of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podolitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio. We like a man, we wangle.